Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome back to another episode of Lead to Soar. This show is a special type of episode where a co-host from A Career That Soars interviews one of our members. We'll denote these episodes going forward as Career Q&A. As you'll hear in the recording, at times, the host may address the audience because these recordings will typically be held as a small group ACTS call. On this episode, Michelle Redfern interviews Laurel Rouse. Laurel is a friend of mine and a fellow engineer. Laurel earned a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering from Northeastern University and a Master of Science in Engineering from the University of South Florida. Laurel served as a volunteer in the Peace Corps and at the time of recording has been working in engineering consulting for about eight years. You know our interviewer, Michelle Redfern, as a co-founder and co-host of A Career That Soars and as your primary host for the Lead to Soar podcast. Without further ado, we bring you a career Q&A with Laurel Rouse. My name is Laurel Rouse, as you've mentioned, and I am coming to you today from the traditional land of the Chata people in Mississippi, USA. The city of Starkville is where I am. And I am a water and wastewater engineer, and I relocated for um, my partner got a job in this location, and we decided that it would be best for us to relocate here. And we could talk more about that in a little bit. But um, I 
left my previous role because the company I was with was a national firm, but did not have presence in Mississippi. And so um, I am job hunting at the moment. I am due in late January. So my, I guess you said also my purpose or vision. So I, I really am passionate about my career as a clean water worker. And I, I see myself as part of the public health um, workforce and that my job as a wastewater and water design engineer working for public utility clients is really essential in keeping communities healthy. And I also have a passion that all people in the world have access to clean water and improved sanitation, which is not the case today. And I think that it's it's a huge problem that we can solve if we think outside the box. Wow, that's a that's a lovely way of bringing together your technical qualifications and what you do in your your day job, so to speak, and a, a really bigger vision. And you know, it, I always find it really gratifying when I can talk to women who can so so effortlessly, and I know it's not effortless, but so effortlessly describe their positional purpose. And your positional purpose is is lofty and, you know, clean water, education, there's a whole bunch of things that enable humankind, but but in particular, and, and I unashamedly focus on women and girls, but I can certainly, as you were describing sanitation and clean water and your mission, I, I have images of geographies around the world that, that I've been fortunate enough to travel to and, and obviously um, seen and heard about that would just benefit from your skills. So it, it's terrific to know it a little bit more. So let's, And I should yeah, mention, yeah. Michelle, that what you just said, access to clean water and improved sanitation absolutely does impact women and girls more than men because Women and girls are traditionally in places where they don't have access to clean water at the home. Women and girls, it's their typically their job to go and walk and bring the water from wherever is the closest source. So that is freeing up that time um, in places where they don't have that access. It's a huge builder of, of women's rights and you know, mm. having more free time or more time to do other things than fetch water. Yeah, including being educated. And we know that mm. education is such a um, giving girls access to, to um, teaching and education is a way of breaking um, intergenerational um, exclusion cycles. Um, and, you know, the, I think I've certainly seen um you know, a lot of statistics clearly given the work that I do and we know that 77% of the unpaid labour in the world is done by women and girls but I think getting beneath that statistic is really understanding some of that labour is really hard labour having to walk for half a day to get the family's water when she could be in a school uh, or when she could be reading or when she could be working to improve the family's economic outlook so there's some really marvellous work being done. There's, there's a, a woman in, in India who's doing some work around, less around water, but certainly around giving women jobs and, and helping them build their economic security. So it's, it's terrific to hear your mindset around that, Laurel, and how you're, 
yeah, you're so clear about your your purpose and your mission aligned to your technical skills and, and, and your qualifications. Let's let's have a chat first about career and career advice, which many of you who have heard me talk before will know that I'm I'm very, very focused on women and girls uh, getting the right career advice. And particularly given, Laurel, that you're in a profession that is, well, you're part of the STEM or STEAM now. I agree not on the call, but she would be saying to me, make sure it's STEAM. So uh, you're part of that fabulous collective of professions and skills. But what was the career advice that you received? Num- Two-part question, a little bit unscripted. Number one, why? So what was the career advice you received that helped you go into this field? And then second part, if that wasn't the best career advice you've received, what was the best career advice you've received? I think the career advice that I received was, I mean, I I was exposed to science from a really young age. Both my parents are scientists. My dad is a wildlife biologist and my mom is a environmental educator. And they're both retired now, but growing up in a household where both my parents were scientists, I just knew from a very young age I wanted to be a scientist. And that became engineering when I got older. The one thing that was great was at my, the local college near where I went to high school, that was University of Minnesota, they held a career day for engineering they invited local high schools and somehow, I don't know how I found out about it. And they told, they just told a little about the different types of engineering um, and they targeted it to juniors in high school. And I think that that was really important to, you know, be able to go into a college and hear directly from, you know, students at that college about what types of engineer, engineering there are. I was really passionate about chemistry and they really encouraged me to think about chemical engineering, which I then did go and uh, major in for my bachelor's. And I, I ended up going more towards environmental engineering. And that's what I ended up getting my master's in. And that's how I got into water. And I think your second part of your question was about what is the best advice. I wouldn't say that that's not great advice. I think some of the best advice for advancing my career was actually not necessarily specifically career advice, but it was to really work on cultivating positive self-talk. And so, so many times in our societies, we come against a very negative messaging. It comes from everywhere as women, the media, other women, men, It just, it's like almost like a bombardment, I feel like. And so, you know, I know for myself, I, at a time, I had some very negative self-talk things I said to myself that I would never say to anyone else. And um, so the advice that I got was work on that and really cultivate positive self-talk, self-love. And one thing that really helped me to do that was affirmations and doing those in front of a mirror, doing those on a regular basis, like every time you wash your hands and you're looking in a mirror, you can, you can use some of the affirmations you can use are quite simple. I love myself. I appreciate myself. And they can be 
something that you write, or I'm sure if you Google, you could find a lot of those. And that's something that really helps me to change my self-talk and to not say such terrible things to myself. And that I think really did help me to advance my career because self-talk is tied to self-confidence, which we know is tied to how well you do in the professional world. I, I think it's terrific advice. And uh, this month in a career that soars, we, we're, we're uh, loosely, well, no, we're focusing on leading from personal greatness. And part of, of leading from personal greatness, um, as you've described, Laurel, is you know, how am I more confident? But it's, it's, it's actually, I am worthy and I, I belong here. I'm entitled. I put a, um, a meme into the, the group a little while back. So carry yourself with the confidence of a, a mediocre middle-aged white man, not to be man bashing, but to say, you know, what is it going to take for you to be truly confident in yourself? And I think the self-talk is so important. I, uh, I recall, and looks not something that I have personally been very, very good at until the last few years. And the point of I guess the tipping point for me was uh, in my last corporate gig, I happened to attend, uh, funnily enough, a, a women in technology event. And there was a woman speaking, and some of you have heard me tell this story before, but there was a woman speaking who I still say now, I, I could not describe her to you. I couldn't tell you her name, but her voice, I remember like it, it's playing in my ears right now. And she was up on the stage and she said, I just want to ask because it was amazing, this voice, I just wanted to listen to it for hours. She said, I want to ask you a question. Would you talk to your mum, your sister, or the person that you cared about most in the world, the way that you talk to yourself? And in my head, I went, God, hell no. <laughs> like my mum, had, uh, she would say, you're not, not too old for a spanking if I spoke to her like that. And it really made me stop and think, so if I wouldn't speak to people I really care about, like that why do I speak to myself like that and it started one of my many journeys of self-discovery and and you know for us to start doing the work so we can observe it say oh well that's it that's what I should do but you you're doing the work so the positive affirmations every time I, I like that every time I wash my hands so I've been since earlier this year washing my hands several times a day to happy birthday to me because, um, you know, that's how long you've got to wash your hands to make sure you're, you're COVID safe. But I think I'm going to change that now to say how how many, how, uh, perhaps five affirmations while I was, wash my hands. That'll be my action. So there's your advice to me today, Laurel. Thank you. So thinking about leadership, you will have had in your career leaders that you've reported to, clearly. Can you think about the best leader that you reported to? Who was that person and what made them the best leader that you've reported to? Yeah, the, the best leader that I reported to was actually a manager who was my age, millennial, and just a very charismatic, so he was a man, very charismatic person and just really wonderful to work with. I think a couple of attributes that I guess I would say overall, he did very well, you know, utilize that, that definition that we use here in a career that soars. So using the greatness in him to inspire the greatness in others to achieve extraordinary outcomes. I really think that he did a great job of that. 
you know, I think he, he has uh, really great communication skills and also didn't take himself seriously. So really, you know, although I was his direct report, he was like, well, what do you think about this? You know, like, you know, just ask me my opinion, even though like, really I reported to him, he could tell me how it was, but I just mm. really, um, I enjoyed uh, working with him quite a lot. I think it's, um, it's a really good point when, as leaders, when we engage our people in discussions to help us solve the problems, it's it's doing a whole bunch of things. Number one, it's crowdsourcing 101. So we're, we're getting a whole bunch of people thinking about a problem, a challenge or an opportunity and how we might do that. But it's developing, you know, at that point, he's developing your critical thinking skills he's asking you to walk a mile in his shoes say this is what I'm encountering right now how might we go about this so you're already leading or thinking at the next level and you know it's it's I don't want to talk about delegation particularly but that that engaging the greatness in others really as a leader saying I don't have to have all the answers and I don't have to make all the decisions in isolation but when I've got a great team around me let's tap into all of their greatness, um, so engage the greatness in them to, well, frankly, get stuff done um, and, and really work well together. I think it's a really good example of, and again, it comes back to that self-confidence. So he was clearly confident enough in himself and, as you said, didn't take himself too seriously to say, hey, I don't have all the answers here and I don't need to because I've got these great people, including yourself, Lauren, who will help me problem solve and and develop ideas, which is just the, yeah, it's the heart of innovation and creativity and problem solving. So as leaders, we don't, you know, be confident enough to say, I don't have all the answers and I'm not skilled. So if you look at CEOs of organisations, particularly big complex organisations, they're not skilled in every single element, but they're surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are, and, and they just help, you know, assemble the blocks or direct the traffic so it's a it's a good example of leadership um, I would also I would also mention that I reported to him for one year and then he ended up leaving his position and leaving the organization and recommending me for his position that he left which no, I was no, then promoted to so and I I think it was quite a thing that he, you know, recommended me because I may not have been chosen for that role if it, if it hadn't had that strong backing from him. Well, and what, again, what a great definition of a strategic mentor or a sponsor. And that those, we know that, you know, mentors are one thing, but strategic mentors and sponsors are the people who are actively and proactively advocating for you to lead at the next level or to introduce you to opportunities. Not only open the doors and get you, um, and, and get you to observe, but have a seat at the table that is, you know, that is yours. reflection Laurel do you look back and say ah he was preparing me he was getting me ready to lead at the next level in all those conversations I think that he was I mean I don't I don't necessarily think that he like knew that he was leaving you know at that at that time I think it kind of just 
ended up happening, like, you know, something uh, that wasn't foreseen very far ahead of time. But I think he was preparing me to lead at the next level, even without, you know, knowing that he was going to be leaving the organization. Hmm. Well, I mean, but even at a practical level, I always think managers have to take leave. They may be seconded to projects. And yes, at some point, they'll want to progress their career. And one of the biggest barriers that I have seen um, for for people, but um, obviously I talk about in, in this in the context of women, is get your successors ready. You've got to have two people ready to take your role because I have, and many of you are kind of nodding, because <laughs> we will have heard stories of, oh, we can't let her go because she's so good at her job. We can't promote her or we can't shift her because she's just so good well, hang on a minute. Yes, if I'm that good, I am ready. I'm ready to lead in a different capacity. And here's the two people coming after me. She's ready now. She'll be ready in one year's time. And that's our job. And this is where developing, you know, bringing out the greatness in others, developing your teams, developing individuals um, and delegating <laughs> um, is so, it's such a career enabler. Even if it's just, you know, I want to take my annual leave and not have to be on the device every day and really annoying my loved ones that I'm on leave with because I'm actually still working because I've got these really amazingly competent people who are stepping into my shoes and they can run it. So there's, it's just such a great way to look at developing others and, and how there's a win, win, win. There's a win for you as the leader. There's a win for the for her who's being developed because, A, she's been, and, and you know, I, I think where perhaps your manager could have dialed up a little bit as I would have been more overt with you, say, I am developing you to lead in my role and this is this is why. And then it's a win for the organisation because, hey, we here's our talent. Look at this, look at this bench strength we've got coming behind our, our managers. Such an important thing. Well, that's that was good. That was that was a great example of leadership. So, let's talk. Let's bring it a bit closer to home now, Laurel. So, you and your partner, you've you've told us that you've moved um, states, moved locations uh, for both your careers, but predominantly for your for your partner's career. So, you're heading into new mum territory uh, or new parent territory. You've both got careers you and I've had a couple of exchanges about this. I really don't like the terminology having it all and work-life balance because I think, and, and Susan's very overt in her book and we have many conversations, animated ones about it. These are This is terminology that's been foisted on women since the 70s. So women entered, 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 the, uh, the, in, entered workforces, particularly in the developed um, economies in great numbers in the early 70s and, and beyond. And it was only then that this language started emerging. Funny about that. But let me put my own peeve aside about work-life balance and, and having it all. And what is what is work-life balance and a dual career family and a little person coming along mean for you, Laurel? Because there'd be lots of women watching this now going, she's about to be a mum. She's an engineer. She's got a career. He's got a career. How the hell is she going to do it? Well, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, there's a lot of things that I think are moving parts and especially today with COVID that, you know, sometimes I think you have to be more flexible with the, with the COVID world that we're living in right now. But for me thus far, and I, you know, I can't speak to being a new parent because I'm not yet, but, um, 
I try to align my values with where I spend my time. So number one for me is my health. And if I don't have my health, I don't have anything, anything else. So I need to take care of myself, which means I need to exercise daily and eat healthy and sleep well. So those three things are kind of like my number one. And then, you know, number two is, is family. And so that's going to include a little one in the future, near future. But right now it's my partner and, you know, he and I, we try to eat dinner together every night. We don't always eat a home cooked, but you know, we try to eat together every day, which is really great to, to be able to spend that time together. We like to go on a walk in the evening together and prioritizing that time. I also try to make sure that I make time for spending, spending time with my friends. And sometimes it's over the Zoom right now with the COVID, but friendships are really important to me. And so I think those are kind of like outside of work time. When I am working or when I am job searching, I try to keep that, you know, confined to the workday. And of course, you know, there's times when it's not, but I, I really, I really do make a huge effort not to work on the weekends because I found that there's a point at which if I am working too many hours in a week, I become less effective and I can't concentrate seven days a week for, you know, a full day. So I need those two days away from work or away from the job hunt in order to, to really come back and be, bring my hundred percent, you know? Mm. It's um, very topical this month because, um, your personal greatness, so leading from personal greatness, isn't just turning up and showing up all the time. You know, you have, there's there's a saying, you, you can, cannot fill from an empty cup. And I've got a, a little tool, which some of some of you have seen, I've, I've posted it in, in the forum um, before called the Life Audit Worksheet. And you have just demonstrated the principles of it perfectly. It's about saying, what are the, what are the four priorities in my life and how do I pay attention to them and regularly audit them? And like you, I have, so my, and I have a little worksheet where you, you literally get two, two printouts and you do it for 12 weeks. So it, once a week, every week you assess on my famous crap to awesome scale, zero is crap, 10 is awesome. How am I doing against the four things that, that, that matter to me? So you've said sleep, family, time with your friends and how I manage work. For me, it's sleep is number one, moving, uh, movement. So, because like you, I have to move every single day or I become a very unpleasant individual. How do I nourish my body? And, and, and I prioritise my relationship like you do as well. So how do I make sure that my wife and I have time that is just for us? And and I think it's rather than work-life balance, I talk about harmony. And if we think about an orchestra and the conductor of an orchestra, she is, and I'm deliberately saying she, she is looking at every instrument and saying, right, there's times when the drums or the percussion section is going to be really high and she's directing them. And then there's other times when it's the string section and so on and so forth. And life and, and work and leadership and everything is like an orchestra. There are times when there's just one bit that's really, really playing high. 
other times when the whole lot is, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's you know, playing the instrument, everything's playing. And it's, about, it's up to us as the conductor of our own orchestras to say, what are the priorities and how do I dial up and dial down certain things to, to accommodate? Because I think balance is too binary. It's, we, we all know that there are times when work, for whatever reason, takes precedence. And there are actually times when home or family or caring has to take priority and it's about getting, getting that harmony going. And look, Honestly, there are times when the crescendo just is <laughs> and we all go, oh, my God, this is really tough. And that's when you go to people like your friends and your family to help you know, build that, that ability to be resilient and what have you. So I'll post the life audit worksheet in the, uh, in the group after this. Um, what about, I, I've got one more question and then I'm going to open it up to the group um, for a conversation. And I am asking you to project forward a little bit to after your little human enters the world and you and your partner have a human, little human to look after and you've got dual careers. How will you and he have a conversation about who does what? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think we're already starting to have those conversations as far as caregiving goes because, you know, I'm in job hunt mode, but I may not end up working till after little one arrives. And so I do plan to, to spend three months without working after the birth. And he is in academia. So his, his semester ends just about the same time as that three months. So we're talking right now about the possibility of maybe, you know, he is the caregiver the main caregiver, and I can go back to, well, either go back to or start a new job um, yep. at that time. And I think, you know, we probably will have daycare, but, you know, maybe over the summer, he's the main caregiver. And when he goes back in the fall, we can have a, a daycare. So we're already starting to have those conversations. And I think, to me, it's important to be flexible, especially with the COVID situation. I think, you know, it's impossible to tell what the transmission is going to look like in our location, even a month down the road, much less mm. like three months or six months or nine months. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's important to remain flexible, but yeah, it's, I guess just important to to have those conversations and not like think it to yourself, but keep it in, in your head, you know, like, oh, what are we going to do? Well, you're obviously a partner, a partnership and a team and, you know, are charged with caring this, caring for this new, new human um, together, not alone. So um, mm -hmm. I think it's important to do, yes, have tough conversations, but they can be very helpful to have. Yeah. The, look, you're right. The, I, I, it's interesting. I've, I've just got this stuff flashing around in my head because I was listening to a, a call, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, a podcast yesterday for HBR's Women at Work. And there are some studies over, over COVID that um, Harvard Business School um, have done, or the research area in, in Harvard has, has done around 
what's happened in the home. And whilst we've seen a lot of horror stories, there's the idea went, yeah, some good news because what's happening is when, and I'm talking about cisgendered, so heterosexual couples, um, what's happened with both her and him working in the home, he has become more aware of what she is doing or what she has to do. And as a consequence has stepped in more from a home duties perspective. And as a result of that, she is doing less. So taking on less of the, of the burden of keeping the household running and doing more work. There's also been to your point, more discussions around negotiating. So you know, for a lot of a lot of people, they don't have the luxury of, you know, 10 bedroom houses where one's, yeah, you know, everyone's got a study of their own and we can all do Zoom calls privately and what have you. They've got to negotiate over the, you know, <laughs> the living room table. You know, I've got it today and I've got the Zoom tomorrow and you know, when I need quiet time and that kind of stuff. So but the point being exactly what you've said, Laurel, is having the conversation, not thinking everything going on up here, God, I wish he would take my career seriously. And I, I wish, you know, I didn't have to do all this. And having that conversation really puts, and again, it's stepping into that personal greatness. Here I am being vulnerable and authentic with my life partner to say, this is what's going to be really important to me. This is what's going to be important to you and what's important to us. And how do we arrive at how do we arrive at a way that we're going to do life? And also to your point, guess what? And it might change because for any of the, any of you who have ever been an expectant parent um, with, with some ideas about the, how the first 12 months is going to go. And then you go, Oh, that didn't work out the way I thought it was. Carla's nodding. I want to hear from Carla. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I think, you know, the, the principle there is that you and your partner have had the conversation and it's not about your career is more, has more priority than my career. This is about us as a unit and, Sometimes we dial, a bit like the, the orchestra, sometimes we dial up, sometimes we dial down. My wife and I have done the same. We've, we've had times over, over the, the years where my career has taken precedence and she was very, very happy to be in a support role. In fact, she's really hoping to be back in a support role very, very shortly for me, but that's a whole other story. But, you know, it's actually, but we have the conversation. That's the thing. What's important to you right now? What's on your mind? What do we need to think about in the next three months, six months, 12 months together? And that's what came through so strongly when you and I first started talking about this was you've had the conversation. You haven't kept it to yourself. You and he have had that conversation. One, one last question for me. I know I say that every time, but if you were to think about the um, best career advice you've received, what would be the best piece of career advice that you could offer to our emerging leaders community? I think it's the, it's the best career advice that I've been given, which is it's not specific to your career, but it's cultivate that, that positive self-talk. And I mean, there's a whole number of ways in which you can do that. And I think it's also important to remember, it's not a, one and done. I'm still working on that. I am much better than I was in the past, but I'm still, you know, working on cultivating positive self-talk because just like you mentioned, Michelle, when you, you went to someone speaking and they, they said, would you talk to your mom or your sister? Like you talked to yourself and you said, no, <laughs> 
Well, I think that's the case for a lot of women. And that's the best career advice that I've been given is cultivate that positive self-talk. And because you're not, not because it's like good for your career, but, it, it, but because it's, you're worthy and you're deserving of that. Mm. You don't, you don't deserve to be talked at like you're, you know, worthless or something like that. Mm. So talk to yourself as, as you would um, want to talk to someone else. And um, that's the career advice. And I think, I mean, it's probably more like serving that early career timeline. And then the, um, I love that missing 33% that um, Susan talks about in her TED talk and we talk about on a career that soars all the time for moving into that, you know, higher levels of leadership. But I think that, you know, the, the positive self-talk, it doesn't go away, like maintain that at the same time as you're, you're building, you're missing 33% business strategic and financial acumen. Great, great advice. And, you know, one thing I want to pick up on, yeah, the, the, the journey to mastery is never done. And it, it, lifelong learning, continuing professional development, and just a heads up, I'm giving a, I'm be posting in the next couple of days about continuing professional development, and and that includes your personal development as well. So it is an ongoing thing, one and done. And Susan and I say it all the time, Laurel. So I'm so glad you picked up on it. One and done is not enough. So continuing, continuing, continuing. So great advice. Thank you. Okay community of women on the uh, on, on the call what are you curious about and what would you like to either ask of Laurel comment on or throw out there over to you hi Laurel I did want to comment on that first 12 months expect the unexpected that book what to expect when you're expecting sure it nails some stuff um, I would actually fully recommend not to read it but um, just because you probably go what? Um, so, you know, in, in Australia, we've got a book called Up the Duff by Kaz Cook. It's a good one. That It's hilarious and it's a good one. But that first 12 months, what Michelle said is so important. Now, we've got, we've got those other things like COVID, which just changes the games in ways that we can't anticipate. Um, but that real conversation around who are you and who am I? I had that with my husband and, and similar to what it sounds like you've had with your husband, my husband just kind of went fly baby, go, go climb the corporate ladder. I'll, uh, I'll take the home. Someone kind of needs to take the home. And so understanding who that primary carer is, even if you're both working, gosh, that's important. Cause I tell you what, if you're going to fight about something, that, that's a, that's a battleground. So I just wanted to kind of back up what Michelle said, but I guess the other thing is you think you've felt learning curves. That first 12 months is, it's just, um, it's amazing, but uh, wow, you know, you think you felt tired, you know, all those kind of things. So just, that's what I probably want to say is um, just expect the unexpected. And, and by that, you know, how you're talking about positive self-talk or kindness to yourself, start writing some stuff down because you, you'll need that in, in, in that, in that first 12 months, especially if you're going to be working at the same time, because it's hard. And, and, um, and I think really, really trying to, scrub out that word balance because it's it's about what's what's actually important right now and not feeling guilty about it so um, I used to say when I'm at work I'm, I'm at work 
you know, one of my babies could have been unwell, but my husband Kong, um, he's enough. That that's all they needed. I didn't need to be there. I don't need to be holding them. I'm at work and I need to be at work. And so that was my balance, but it wouldn't have been other people. So you, you need to work out what that is for yourself. So that's the only thing I wanted to say is because like when you were kind of saying, oh, you know, yeah, my 12 months, it's going to, like, you know, the first 12 months are going to be like this. I just wanted to kind of say that I had expectations of myself and I thought, yeah, cool. I've set myself up for success. Um, and one of my mentors actually just recently shared this with me that expectation can sometimes be the mother of disappointment. And so, so what, what I'd say is um, set up parameters so you're set up for success. Don't expect things of yourself that you can't when you don't, you haven't been there before. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah, that would be my only advice. Good advice. That's great advice. Thank you, Carla. Questions, ladies. You've got a, an expert here. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask another couple then to fill in, fill in the gaps. So, Laurel, I, I want to go back to your um, what we started talking about at, at, um, at the outset around your, your technical skills. So you're, you're an engineer, the, the work you're doing. And we actually have quite a large community of, of engineers. Uh, yeah, waving at Marianne. Um, in, uh, and in Deju. Our, and Deju, yes, yes. And mm -hmm. Mel, um, yeah, so we've got quite a large community of, of women who are engineers and, and related. And I wonder if you think about managing through managing yourself and those positive affirmations in environments that are male dominated, what's your advice around that? Can you clarify? Yes. Bit? So, yeah, that was a bit vague. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on up here, which I didn't articulate yeah. very well. So, what we can often find when we're working in, when women are working in male-dominated environments is that where they're either the only woman or one of only a few is that we feel like an other and, and otherness is, a, is, is quite a phenomenon. And part of, part of being an other uh, or part of being um, in a minority in a workplace is that it can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. And if you're not fully reconciled with the inner and the outer you is are not fully reconciled, and or you're you're struggling with confidence or that that inner critic or the self talk. What can happen is assimilation behaviour. So I want to become like the men or fit in, and I'm so desperate to fit in and to belong and to be welcomed that I'll kind of I'll shelve who I really am. In, you're so grounded and so comfortable in your own skin well that's the impression that I get and you're so clear about what you what your strategies are to maintain that how has that benefited you in, uh, in male-dominated workplaces and what would be your advice to other women in, in male-dominated workplaces to to try and overcome that feeling of otherness and not assimilate yeah I guess what I would say is you know I've been working in engineering for eight years and before that I was in school for engineering right but during my professional career um when you you mentioned about assimilating mm. one thing that I noticed um that I did you know at the outset when I first started working is I wore similar clothing to the men and so I would wear like khaki khaki jeans and a polo shirt 
or khaki jeans and a button-up long sleeve shirt that, you know, I mean, it was a woman's shirt, but it, 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 you know, looks like some of the clothing that men would wear, but I only did that for maybe a, a year or so. And then, you know, I, I guess I kind of picked up from, we did have women working in my, in my workplace. And I, I don't think I've ever been the only woman in my workplace, but I certainly have been one of a few or, you know, the only woman at a meeting or mm. I've certainly experienced that, but there was a, um, one of the women, she actually happened to be the admin assistant, but she would wear like a nice blouse and a skirt or a nice blouse. She likes to wear blouses. And I was like, you know what? I like blouses. I'm going to do it. I, I like flowers, whatever. I don't care if I don't look like the men. And so I just started dressing however I, I wanted, you know, what appealed to me. It was professional dressing, but what appealed to me. And, and I think the affirmations thing, that definitely helps because if you are considering other in your workplace, having the self-confidence to, to stand up for yourself when maybe something's not fair or to call something out when maybe it's something that the men may, maybe didn't even think about. I think that's important. I certainly think also it's important to remember that if you're in a workplace and you know, you're one of maybe two women or a, a, one of a small minority of women to not see it as a competition. Like it's me or her, like we can't both be successful. Like, I think that's so toxic and it's not, it's not good for anyone. So, you know, building other women up is really important. I think I've, I think I've seen cases where there, there have been women that I've worked with that weren't like that. And it's quite unfortunate, but I think definitely more, I think I've worked with more women that are like that, that, that do build each other up. Mm. Um, and so I think that's really important. And it's, it's important for the younger women coming up to mentor them and, you know, not see it as a me or her mm. competition. So many things in what you've just, you've said to me, so, or said to us, number one is, is who am I authentically and how do I express myself? And whether that's the way you wear your hair, you, the way you dress, you know, and, and sure, um, I, I've got a very long story, which I'm not going to bore you with now about how I had exactly the same revelation and made some immediate changes, how an, a mindset of abundance, not of scarcity can drive your generosity and your personal greatness, particularly when you're where, um, where, where there are a few other women in, in the environment. And particularly, I would say, you know, I get a little bit bent out of shape because I think we put so much expectation on women to be nicer than, support, supportive than, yada, yada, yada. And when women don't behave in, in line with that, i.e. like men do, um, we, we hold them out, you know, we really do hang them out to dry. However, there is great merit in what you've said, um, Laurel, in being your authentic self, reaching out to her, whoever she is uh, in the organisation, her or them, to say, hey, let's let's kind of support each other and, and have each other's back. You can be what you can see as well. So when women see you in your personal greatness, just, you know, being who you are 
authentically and being authentic is, I mean, authenticity is such an overused phrase at the moment or term, but being your authentic self takes a hell of a lot less energy than trying to be something else that you think people want you to be or to assimilate. So, and people will gravitate towards that. Um, so just so much good advice in there. So it's, and I've got to sum it up now and, and finish us off by quoting another woman that I love and admire. I don't yet work with her, I say yet, but the, the fabulous uh, Dr. Brene Brown. And she says, yeah, stand in your worthiness, don't hustle for it. The reality is work out who you are. And, and I'm looking at Marianne and, and Bimmy because you've both been, you both worked, we've worked together on, on your mantle of leadership, but saying that internal identity shift, I am a leader, I am worthy and take me as I am because it's fabulous is, is such great advice, Laurel. So, um, and I think the other thing that, that I'd like to close with is your, your advice around those affirmations and really focusing on, I am a great leader. I am, I really love myself. Um, I am going to nail the missing 33% just to put that an unashamed plug in there. I am, I am enough. And that is such, such worthy work and continuing work to stand in your personal greatness um, every single day. Because when you are leading from personal greatness, you are going to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes. You are going to engage the greatness in others. So, Laurel, that's been terrific advice. And, um, you know, I, the other unscripted moment is, you know, I just love, I love the fact that millennial women teach me so much every single day you know I, I have two millennial children 130 126 and and I say to them I keep learning from them I learn from Mel Butcher who we're working together I learn from you Laurel I you know I, I love the fact that I'm learning from young women so don't believe that you haven't that you're not there yet you are there because you're teaching an old dog like me new tricks so which is absolutely terrific Laurel, thank you for your time and uh, thanks everyone for turning up and showing up. Well, have an awesome day, everyone. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, thanks Laurel. Thanks, folks. Thanks, thank, you. thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.